Good morning, church. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, around verse 22. It's where we're going to be in just a few minutes. And all the husbands said, it's about time. I've been waiting all week for this message to our wives. After uh, last week, we had a word for the husbands, and we're continuing through this series called Honor Marriage. And today, we have a word for the wives. Now, I don't know how smart it is, but I spoke to a brother earlier this morning, and he said, you know, I'm planning on bringing my wife to both services. I want her to hear it twice. I don't know how that's going to turn out for him. I wish you a lot of luck with that. But uh, we're going to dive in and continue with this Honor Marriage series that I think has been very helpful and challenging for all of us uh, as a church family. Uh, I'll say this really quick about impact. I've got my door holder shirt on and just want to say a huge thank you to you as volunteers and host homes and door holders and drivers and all the different things, an army of volunteers that it takes to make impact possible. So thank you for being that kind of church. It is a privilege uh, that we get to serve our community through impact and serve the next generation, and you make that possible. So thank you. We're looking forward to a great couple few days uh, with impact as it kicks off today. Um, Ephesians 5, uh, the purpose of this series really has been simply around Hebrews chapter 13. It says this, marriage is to be held in honor among all. This thing called marriage that has been created by God, it is designed by God, it is to reflect the glory of God, it is to be held in honor among all. It doesn't take a genius to know or a cultural expert to know that we live in a culture where marriage is not honored by all. And it's one thing for the culture that we live in to see marriage as less than honorable, our concern is how do the people of God see this thing called marriage according to God's Word. So what we've tried to do over the last couple weeks and even this morning, we've tried to see, our goal is to see marriage as God sees it. Not based on our current experience, not based merely on our past experience, not merely based on how we were brought up, not merely based on Hollywood, not based on anything else, but the Creator Himself who invented, created, designed, sustained, and honors marriage. God, how do you see it? We had a couple big truths that we've wrestled with through this series. One, this is just a little bit of review. We, we said a few weeks ago, big truth number one was this, that God designed marriage for us, but it's not about us. That truth alone right there is revolutionary for our marriages. God's given us the gift of this thing called marriage, but it's never just about us. God has ordained that the, the husband will represent Christ to the world and the wife will represent the bride and how we relate and connect to one another. And it's a beautiful picture that, yes, we get to enjoy the blessings and the challenges and the struggles of marriage. But it's never just about us. I think what gets us in trouble sometimes is we begin to make decisions about the state of our marriage or the future of our marriage and we think it's just about us. It's not just about you. The second truth we wrestled with this a little bit last week was this one, that the gospel is on display. The gospel of Jesus Christ is on display through our marriages as we live out our roles and our responsibilities toward one another. 
How we relate to one another in marriage as husband and wife is a big, big deal. It's a gospel issue. Now we said last week, and a lot of this is just review, I can't review all of it, but as we talk about the roles within marriage, the role of husband and the role of wife, again, to be very clear, both husband and wife share equal, absolute equal worth, absolute equal value before God. But there are distinctions in the roles that have been given to husband and wife in marriage. God has designed it that way. As a man who's been married 23 years, I thank God for those distinctions in marriage. And I thank God that my wife is not just like me. And I'm thankful that we're not designed the same or shaped the same or act the same or all of that. Those are blessings. But my wife and I before God are of equal value, equal worth in this thing called marriage. But there are some particular roles that God has ordained. So we talked to the husbands last week. Men, if you were not here, I encourage you to go listen to that. I encourage you to spend some time in Ephesians chapter 5 because quite honestly we know the call that God has given to us as husbands is immense. It is massive before Christ. The role that we are to play doesn't come natural. The role that God has called you to play in your marriage. If you're saying right now it seems hard and it's a struggle and it's a fight. Well you're exactly right with that. But you will not live out what God has called you to do in your marriage of your own strength. You know that, right? You won't. God calls us. Last week we saw this, a word to the husbands. uh, Ephesians 5.25, just review. Husbands, Love your wives. And that word love is not the take word. It is the agape word, which means to give regardless of what we get in return. It's a godlike word. Give. Love. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave. He gave himself up for her, for us, the bride. We saw that that love is to be an unconditional love, that agape love. The minute you begin thinking about your wife, I will love you if, I will love you when, I will love you as long as, it is not agape, unconditional love. Saw last week, it's to be a sacrificial love. It is to be a tender love. It is to be an intentional love. The love of the husband is to be leading the wife, leading the family toward Christ-likeness, toward flourishing, toward blessing. As he walks with God, leads his family to walk with God, is to be intentional. The leadership and the love of the husband is to take that wife somewhere for her good and her flourishing and her blessing. It's to be an understanding love. And we talked about that last week. There are things we simply do not understand about our wives. We know that. But we're to seek to grow and understand our wives in a way that honors them and honors the Lord. So with all that, that, that's kind of the the foundation or even the canopy, if you will, that the marriage is to operate under. God has called us as men to be the the head, the, the leaders, to set the pace, to set the direction. He's called us to love that wife as Christ loves the church. And then with all that, then the word is given to the wives. What is the word to the wives? I'm going to read verse 22, 24, or down, a few verses, and I'm going to jump down to verse 32. So, ladies, let's start here, verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5. The words will be on the screen. 
a Bible in front of you. If you need a copy of God's word, you can open that up. Here's what scripture says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Jump on down to verse 32 for sake of time. This mystery is profound. Remember, we talked about this mystery as something that was unclear in the past, but it's now become clear. Paul is talking about here the mystery now. This marriage thing has been designed from the very beginning of time to be a picture of the gospel. And now on this side of the cross, on this side of Jesus, on this side of the bride and the church, now marriage even makes more sense why it even exists ultimately. This, marriage, this mystery is now profound. I'm saying this refers to Christ and the church. However... Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. If you don't get anything else out of the message, verse 33 is enough. The greatest need of your wife from you men is unconditional love. And ladies, the greatest tangible need from you to your husbands is this level of respect and esteem that he gets from his wife. God's designed it that way. So what does all this mean? What does this look like? What does it mean wives submit to your own husbands? Guys, how would you like to be preaching this message this morning? You can pray for me on this. We might want to check carefully our amens at key points in the message today. So as a pastor, one of the things that I get to do from time to time is to conduct wedding ceremonies. And even this morning and even in this service, some of you, I've got to be the pastor at your wedding ceremony and the exchange of vows and all that goes into that special day and the preparation for marriage. And I've noticed distinctly, particularly the last three or four years, really the last seven or eight years, there are some statements that are made in wedding ceremonies that you can feel people begin to bow up when you say it. I'm I'm serious. I'll say something like this, and I say this in every wedding, and the, and the groom and the wife, they, they, they know it's coming, but I'll say something like this, that marriage is a gift designed by God for one man, one woman in covenant union for life, and that is a very politically incorrect statement. You can just feel the tension. And then I'll begin a charge to the husband and I'll say things like this to the husband that he's to be the spiritual leader and the protector and he's to provide and he's to create a canopy of covering and protection for his wife and provision under which she's to come and flourish under that leadership and he's to trust and serve her in sickness and in health and poverty and wealth to be true and loyal to her and her alone until death shall part them. You can get away with some of that. There's a little bit of tension that comes up with that but when... When I begin to address the wife, and I say things like this to the wife, do you 
purpose to love and to honor and to cherish in sickness and in health and poverty and wealth and true loyalty to him alone till death till part you, you can kind of get away with that and then you come to statements like this and you say do you purpose to be his helpmate and to self-sacrificingly honor and submit to him and to his leadership in all things as the head just as Christ is the head of the church you can feel in the room some just begin to bristle right because I've used the S word. <laughs> the submit word. And unfortunately that is a word that's used and a concept and a principle that's used here in Ephesians 5. That is to be a beautiful dynamic in marriage. And unfortunately this idea of submission in our culture. And I'll just tell you I grieve because of this. Has been so drugged through the mud. And has been so misinterpreted. And has been so abused. And men have used it as a club. It is now seen as oppressive. It is now often seen as life giving and life taking. And it's just a word that we bristle at. And my goal this morning out of this passage is to help us redeem and understand what God intends and means by the idea of submission what does it mean and I'm going to let you off the hook for just a few minutes ladies because before we even get to the idea of submission in the marriage we're going to back back out because the idea of submission as it's taught is something the, the posture of submission is something for every single one of us toward every other believer in Christ Jesus. Did you know that? In other words, before you ever get down into the marriage in Ephesians 5.22, you come to Ephesians 5.18, 19 and 21. Let me just read that to you as Paul is painting a picture here. And he says this, verse 18 of Ephesians 5, he says, Be filled with the Spirit. Paul's talking about how we live this life called the Christian life is not of our own strength. It's the power of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus within us. To be filled with the Spirit is to be submitted to the Spirit. His leading, His power, His control, His protection, His guidance, His Word. We, we come up under, we are empowered by the leading of the very Spirit of Jesus Christ. What does that look like? How does that flesh its way out? Verse 19. That, that, that fleshes its way out in how we treat one another. We address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in the heart with our Lord. Verse 20, we're giving thanks always and everything to God the Father. And then verse 21 he says, to be filled with the Spirit, to be submitted to the Spirit. And this is for all believers. He says you will be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean? If we're going to understand the concept of submission, we have to understand that submission is to be the general posture of all believers toward every other believer. Within a church family, within the body of Christ, believers are to be in submission to one another as the body of Christ. What in the world does that mean? Well, the word submission, I'll just try to layer some understanding here for you as best I can. The word was originally a Greek military term, means to arrange in a military fashion to come up under the command of a leader. It also had the meaning in a non-military use of a voluntary attitude of yielding, of cooperating, of submitting, of coming up under for the good of another. It has the idea of yielding. 
It has the idea of yielding my preferences, my rights, my will. It is willing to place myself under the control, the influence, the authority of another person. Here's one of the reasons. Now with all that, it's the idea of coming up under. It's the idea of yielding. One of the reasons in our culture and one of the reasons in our own existence we struggle with submission is because submission is the opposite of selfishness. I've been wrestling with this all week. I'm trying to get my hands around why is this so important for every believer, not just in marriage, but for every believer. God has graciously entrusted and His Word is teaching us an understanding of submission. And the reason it grates on me is because at my core I am selfish. And so are you. The greatest hindrance in my walk with Jesus, the greatest challenge in my following Christ and knowing the blessing and the flourishing and walking with Him is not the devil or the enemy or the grave. Jesus has conquered all of that. The greatest enemy is my selfish heart. We said that a few weeks ago. The greatest enemy in your marriage, husbands and wives. And by the way, the greatest enemy in every human relationship is selfishness. Self. I imagine that if you're here and your marriage is struggling in one way or another, and all marriages struggle in one way or another, the point is you could trace a lot of those struggles back to a root that finds itself somewhere in the pride and the selfishness of your own heart. So God, in His grace, places every believer by design in a company with other believers so that He will lovingly deal with our self and our pride by teaching us to submit to one another and yield to one another and defer to one another and listen to one another's counsel and realize I cannot do this thing in isolation to myself or by myself because here's what happens. If we live in isolation, we will give ourselves over to ourselves. Now listen, this is huge. And according to Romans 1, one of the greatest judgments of God is when He gives you over to yourself. So submission in the body of Christ, as Paul talks about it here, before he ever gets to the marriage, is that we learn to submit to one another. Out of, verse 21, reverence to Christ. In other words, you are in my life, brother and sister. You are a part of my family in Christ as an extension of the mercy and the grace of God in my life. So by being in submission to you and deferring to you and listening to your counsel and, and, and growing in community with other believers, it is a grace of God in my life and your life. That is why we talk here so much. Christian community is vital. The opposite of it is you will live in isolation and you will be a slave to your own self. And that is a devastating place to be. 
Proverbs and all the wisdom of Proverbs says this, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise judgment. God has entrusted and given to us this thing called submission in the power of the Spirit as we submit to Him, we submit to brothers and sisters, and He's whittling away ourselves so we can grow in Christ's likeness. It's a beautiful thing. But it grates against us. It operates against our pride. So submission is this coming up under. It is this yielding. It is the general posture of all believers toward one another. Secondly, submission is to be the posture toward particular roles of authority as assigned by God. It is a general posture that we have toward one another. But it's also a posture toward particular roles that God has assigned in society. God's extended a degree of authority to some for our flourishing, for our good, for the community to operate, for sin to be restrained, and for our flourishing. What does that mean? 1 Peter 2 says to all believers, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether to the king or as one in authority, to governors sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. For such is the will of God that by doing this right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Submission is a posture toward each other as believers. Submission is also a posture toward those in roles of authority that God has placed in our lives. Police. Teachers. Leaders parents, bosses. You say, I'm not so sure I agree with all those. I'm not so sure my boss. Listen, you need to understand something, and I'll say this to all of us. You model the way you practice submission in these other relationships in your life, these roles of authority God has placed over you. If you have a boss, God, and according to Romans 13, has given that boss a degree of authority in your life for your good. And you submit to that boss as unto the Lord. You're saying, I thought we were talking to the wives today. Pastor Mike, could you just move on? And understand what submission is. According to Hebrews 13, God has appointed leaders in the church, elders. Verse 13, chapter 13, verse 17 of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. There's a particular submission to leadership that God has placed in the church. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. In other words, submission to those roles of leadership in our lives, whether it's police, teachers, bosses, leaders, church leaders, is for our good and is an extension of God's grace in our lives. With all of that, behind every role of authority is God who has entrusted His authority to those leaders for my protection, provision, direction, restraining of sin and flourishing. So, with all of that, let me try to give you a grip. I can't even say it. A grip on submission. Here it is. Put that definition up on there. Submission is a love word. Submission is not a control word. In other words, the Bible never gives submission as something that's to be exacted by the husband or to be exacted by the leader. That is oppression. Submission is a choice, a will to come up under the leadership that's been provided by God through one another and through these leaders that he places in our life. It is not a control word. Submission means letting someone to love you, teach you, 
influence you. In fact, to the degree which we submit to others is the degree to which we will experience their love. That is true in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That is true in the marriage relationship. That is true in our relationships with each other as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, with all of that said, one of the particular roles that God has extended authority to in society is the role of the husband. And it is in that role that God has extended authority for the flourishing and the blessing and the direction of the home and particularly of the wives. So, we'll give three statements with all of that, try to give you a little understanding about submission as a whole, and then let's talk directly to the wives and all the husbands are ready with pen in hand all right here we go number one what does the bible say in the marriage relationship wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord Say, so Pastor Mike, where did you get that? Well, today's one of those days I don't go far from Scripture. That's straight out of verse 22 because the Bible says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. It's not my idea. But the understanding with the idea of submission is it is this, as an act of your will, wives, placing yourself under the influence, the leadership, the direction, and listen to what he says, of your own husband. Circle the word own. The word own there is a very intimate, particular word. The Bible nowhere says women are to submit to men. Does it say that in general? It says wives in particular within the marriage, within the marriage to their own husband as entrusted by God are to come up under the leadership of their own husband as a gift from God. What does that mean? What does that look like? And why are we to do that? Well, is that because he's superior? No, we, can't, we dealt with that earlier. Submission is not, I submit to the leadership of my husband or the direction of my husband because he's superior. Is it because he's more loved by God? No. Is it because he's more intelligent? Well, we know that's not the case. No amens, please. Is, what's this? And wives, you are not to submit come up under honor the leadership of your husband because he coercively tells you to do so that is not submission that is not the way Christ does it and that's not the way we're to do it that's oppression submission is not oppression the massive difference and that's been so abused it is because verse 23 for here's the basis when you see the word for here's the basis for what Paul has just said verse 22 the husband is the head of the wife God has determined in the marriage relationship there will be an order there will be a structure there will be authority there will be headship there will be leadership just like he's established in the church Jesus is the head of the church it's from his leadership his direction his provision his guidance we come up under him and watch this to the degree in the church that we submit to the leadership of Jesus we experience his love and his blessing And Paul is saying within the marriage, 
He, out of his grace and out of his wisdom, has determined that there will be an order, there will be particular roles, and he has said to that husband, you are to take on the role of headship. He has said to that wife, you are to take on the role of submission. Now, there is mutual submission to one another that plays its way out, but there's also a clear role that the husband has been given the role of headship. And let me just tell you something, men. If you see that or you feel that as some type of club or some type of thing to put on your chest, I'm the head of my house. You don't get it. That means that you will give an account in a way your wife will not. That means you will be held accountable for the direction of your family in a a way that your wife will not. That means God has entrusted abilities to you. God has entrusted responsibility to you in a way that your wife has not been given. It is a daunting task. It is overwhelming. And sometimes I'll just be honest, as a husband, I just cringe under that. And I so desire to lead my wife well. And now there's men in this room that you so desire to lead your wife well. And I know even in this room, it's easy to read this and we hear this and we think of instances and maybe we think of our own situation and the Bible does not say submit to the leadership and the headship of your perfect husband because he doesn't exist. And it doesn't say submit to the perfect, blameless uh, uh, husband who has everything figured out and has everything right. It doesn't say that at all. It says submit to that husband that has been entrusted to you as Unto the Lord. Because you recognize, here is the heart behind submission. I recognize God is big enough to lead me, direct me, provide for me, enable me to flourish through this man that he's put in my life. And I believe practically God is big enough, he's loving enough, he's gracious enough, we believe, to lead us through our relationships with other brothers and sisters. I function on a team with elders. One of the reasons I love this church is we function with a plurality of elders and we practice mutual submission, which means nobody acts in isolation, nobody acts as an individual, we act as a team. And I believe God is big enough to lead me and lead this church through the other men that he's put around me. That is the embracing of what is called submission because it is ultimately an act of worship to God to God so wives submit your own husbands unto the Lord this does not mean oppressive or abusive it does not mean that the husband has absolute authority The husband has only the authority that has been entrusted by God according to the Word of God. So at any point the husband begins to operate outside of the Word of God or to call the wife to do something that's outside of the Word of God or the will of God, he's no longer operating under God's authority. Just like a leader, just like a governor, just like a a president who may begin to act outside of the will of God. Are we mandated to obey that? We honor that role. We honor that role. But the authority is not absolute. It's authority that has been entrusted by God for the glory of God. It's not mindless obedience. In fact, John MacArthur has a great quote, and I'll just read this because it's so good about this, and then a couple more points and we'll wrap up. So here's what MacArthur says about this idea of submission within the marriage. He says this, the idea is that of willingly coming up under the husband's leadership. Submission is to be a voluntary response to God's will in giving up one's independent rights to other believers in general, to the ordained authority in particular, in this case, the wife's own husband. 
The wife is not commanded to obey her husband as children are to obey their parents and slaves to their masters. A husband is not to treat his wife as a servant or as a child, but as an equal for whom God has given him care and responsibility for provision and protection to be exercised in love. And it is in that context that the Bible calls wives to submit, to make the choice that I'm going to honor God by honoring and submitting to the man God has entrusted to me for my protection, for my provision, for my good, and watch this, sometime even for my restraint. We're not going to be very honest with you if we don't say that sometimes submission to one another, sometimes submission to leaders, sometimes submission to husbands and one another feels like restraint because I don't want to be left to myself and sometimes I do need a brother or sister or I need a leader or I need someone to come into my life and say, well, you're going too far. You can't go there. There was no restraint practiced in the Garden of Eden and Eve was gotten, she was taken off by herself. She acted independently. She did not act dependently with Adam, and disaster followed. Submission is to act in dependence, not in independence. Submission is the opposite of selfishness, and it's what God uses to keep us and save us from ourselves. So, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. The last two are very quick. Number two. Wives, respectfully submit to your husbands as God's good gift. Verse 33, we read it earlier, I'll read it again. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Now you can't hear it, but I can sense it and I imagine it's the case. There's a room full of men right now who their heart is yearning because they may not even realize it, but one of the things they desperately need from their wives is Respect. Respect functionally means this with your words, with your actions, with your attitudes. You ladies intentionally seek to esteem your husbands as God's good gift to you. Not because he's perfect, because we're not. Not because we get everything right, because we're not. I get that. But there is a sense that I can esteem and respect and show honor to my husband because I believe he's been brought into my life by God. And let me just say this as honestly as I can say it. Some of the wives in this room are desperately yearning for their husband to change. And I get that. I'm involved in a lot of those relationships. I see that. As your elders, we see that. But I'll just say this. A nagging, belittling, demeaning wife with your words will not bring about the change that you want. But showing respect to him as unto Christ might. And there is a level of respect that our husband, your husband, is longing for. And I'll just say this, ladies, is the power of Christ and the power to let that husband know he is esteemed because he is God's gift in your life. If he does not sense that esteeming and that respect from you and in your home, he will go somewhere and find it elsewhere. Or the enemy will at least tempt him to find it somewhere else. The respect is an attitude to say, I believe God can lead me through this man. Submission is a daily posture or an act of the will, but respect is an attitude of the heart. We can simply comply in submission and not really be respecting from the heart. 
True submission is this sense, ladies. Respectful submission is when I embrace the role and the gift of my imperfect husband and believe God is big enough to provide a canopy of protection, direction, and a place of flourishing through his leadership of this husband. And I'm going to show him that respect as unto the Lord. That's embracing submission. It's not just complying. It's not just, well, I, you know, it's like none of us would ever do this, but it's like driving down Interstate 81 and we've got our foot on the gas and we're going 90 miles an hour and we see the police officer and we, we slow down and drive by and going, we're submitting to our authorities. And then as soon as he's gone, man, I'm 90 miles an hour. None of us would ever do that. That's outward submission, but that's not embracing submission and believing that God has placed those authorities, whether it's my boss, whether it's the police, whether it's my leaders, whether it's my church elders or ladies, whether it's that husband God's entrusted to me. I embrace submission because I believe it is best and God is big enough to lead and provide and direct and restrain and enable me to flourish by honoring that husband because God has placed him in my life. See that? So last one, we'll say this and we're finished. And the, the team can come on up and just begin to play. We're going to enter into a time response. Let me say this last one. Wives, you picture the relationship of Jesus and his bride as you respectfully submit to your husband. Ephesians 5.24, we read it earlier, we'll just read it again. Now as Christ submits to the church, or I'm sorry, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything. The little phrase there, everything, is not the particulars. It's not the to-do list. It's not the checklist. The phrase in everything is there because it's wholehearted. It's not piecemealed. It's not if then or if that or maybe. It's the attitude of I have given my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ in submission to him. Therefore, I can lovingly entrust the submission to my husband as unto the Lord. And when we do that and when you do that, it is not just about you. It is a gospel issue because the world is to see it and see how the church trusts our King Jesus. Is we're a church that want to make Jesus, wants to make Jesus known and we want to make this gospel known. Ladies, I cannot tell you how part, what a big part you play in this, in your conversations and in your relationships, in the way you treat and revere and look to that husband as God's good gift. Because the Bible says those around you will learn how the church is to respond to Jesus by watching you. So how do we do this? How is this possible? It's not natural. We said that earlier. It's not by your own strength. It's not by cowboying up and trying harder. Ephesians 5.18, that's the pivot verse in this whole passage, says it. Be filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's it. That means walking in daily submission to Jesus and His Spirit by being in His Word and saturating your mind with His Word. Ladies, I don't think there's a more important step you could take towards submission of your husband and of Christ than by filling your heart and your life with the living Word of God. It changes you. Walking in the power of the Spirit and submitting to Him and therefore learning to submit to one another and that husband God's given you. 
also means walking in community. You can't do this on your own. You're to be shaped by other believers and challenged by other believers and held accountable to other believers to walk in this thing called submission. You can't do it by yourself. Thirdly, I think it means walking in forgiveness. We talked about this with the husbands last week, and boy, we could talk hours about this very quickly. Some of the marriages are in great danger and great turmoil right now because forgiveness has been refused to be granted by one member to the other. And I don't know all the details. I don't have to know all the details. Somewhere a step toward submission has to be a step toward forgiveness. Watch this. As unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. And finally, we'll pray. It means walking in forgetfulness. Just like we said last week to the guys, some of you ladies are in this room right now because of your upbringing, because of understanding, whatever you realize, I have not shown my husband the honor, the respect, I'm living independently, I bow up, whatever word you want to use. And today, here's what Paul says from Philippians, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, press on, press on. You're in a church where you can grow and be challenged and be encouraged for the sake of Christ. And we learn to honor one another and honor this thing called marriage as God has intended. You pray with me. I want to pray for you. Our team's going to lead us. We're going to stand and sing. And I just trust you to respond to Christ here in your seat. Maybe some of you may need to go to the prayer room here in just a few moments. There may be some repentance that needs to take place. Lord, I am not... Up until today, I've been thinking about this a certain way, but Lord, I realize today my thinking has been wrong. God, I repent. I mean, some steps of action you need to take to an individual or a moment of submission there before the Lord. Father, we love you. Spirit, guide this time for your glory and your namesake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let me go ahead and uh, get started. So. So we can get out of here in a few minutes. Um, we wanted to. You're hurry? Well, that's not the only reason, but <laughs> David's hungry. I got lunch. No, um, we've had a obviously th in January we had an emphasis where we were praying for strong families. We've just come out of a three-week sermon series on uh, marriage and on the role of husbands and wives, and we really are praying for God's blessings upon our church body in regard to um, healthy families and marriages. Uh, and we, we know that's a challenge and an area of growth for all of us that are married because every day we're tempted in that area of selfishness and um, really living out life according <clears throat> under the submission of God himself. We, um, we didn't want to close this three weeks and just say, okay, everybody go do a better job. So we know there's got to be there's got to be a culture that we establish or try to establish in this church body such that beyond today, not only are we individually holding up the truth of God's word in front of us and, and in an act of continual repentance, trying to strive to live for him, but there's also a way for us to help each other in this. And that's really what we would love to see happen. But that's sometimes kind of awkward and hard, especially if we see someone in a marriage that's maybe drifting or um, certainly doing things that would create unhealth, obviously things that would, that would be, we would uh, consider sinful. And then there's a responsibility as we see those things to reach out to that person and, and try to call them to repentance. But that's kind of awkward and clumsy sometimes. So we just want to talk about that because we really do believe that's, that's the culture that's got to be in place 
for us to really have strong families and marriages. <clears throat> so guys, I would just ask you to maybe say a few words about as we find ourselves in those situations, how would you describe the attitude yeah. that one should have as they do that? Yeah, so let me try to say it this way. Even coming off the message this morning, I think it really fits. And until we understand, th these conversations are very awkward and out of place when we see one another drifting off into sin or poor choices, unless we see the church as family. And I, I mean, I can't say that enough that throughout Scripture we're called to understand that you're in Christ, I'm in Christ, we, we recognize this is our local church family, I'm a member here, therefore what happens in your life matters to me. I care. You care about me. That's the whole idea. We have members of one another. So the whole idea that I see, and I'll just use David as an example, David may in his marriage or any other area of his life, I, I see him potentially, it looks like going down a path that I know is not good for him. The world says, well, that's his business. You need to butt out. He can, you know, he can do whatever he wants. Uh -uh. And the church, brothers and sisters, it matters to me. In the same way, I would want David to care the choices I'm making. So the attitude has got to be one of, lo of love. I mean, what does it look like to love one another in the body of Christ? Sometimes it's the reality, I care about your pursuit of Christ. I care about you growing in Christ's likeness. I want you to know all the joys of knowing Christ in an intimate, growing relationship. And man, I'm willing to fight for anything I see causing you to stumble in that area. So it's got to be loving family relationship. Yeah. I think if, one thing when we, when we see uh, drifting and sin issues, it's so visible in our marriages because our marriages are so public and there's such a picture of the gospel. But really we're talking about drifting into sin in any really, yeah. in yeah. any area of the family. And I think what we have to recognize is as we see family, we see one another as brothers and sisters, there are implications for how we approach what is loving discipleship. Yeah. And I think when we talk about attitude, there's a disconnect. And there's a disconnect between how we view love and admonishment, how we view discipleship and discipline or growth and maturity and discipline. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So when I was, when I was uh, um, a child, see today, let me back up. Today. When, let me just say it this way. I know. I mean, I'm all over the place. I'm all over the place. So much to say see, in such a little time. See why I wanted to get started early. I, I know. We need to get started early. So today, I mean, we, we discipline our kids and those things. And, you know, they might get like a spanking. But when I was a kid, we got whoopings. Right? <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. We got whoopings. And then the person who was whooping would say to you, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Yeah. I'm just telling you, as a kid, I didn't believe that at all. As a parent, now I understand it differently. Yeah. I begin to see it differently. And see, even in our family context, just as a culture, we are drifting farther and farther away from an understanding of discipline. We discipline even our children less and less. I was talking to someone the other day. They have like just this crazy four-year-old, five-year-old running around, and it's just a mess. And they're like, I'm like, man, come on. And they're like, well, look, I, I can't discipline. He, he doesn't understand. And I'm sitting here thinking, if the Lord only disciplined me when I understood, I would be a mess. And that, that's really an adjustment of our attitude and how we see 
questioning one another, admonishing one another, disciplining one another. We've got to remind ourselves of Scripture. Uh, the Lord teaches us in Proverbs 3 that he disciplines those he loves. The author of Hebrews goes back and reminds us of that and says, that's evidence that we are in the family and that God loves us. If he didn't discipline us, we would be an illegitimate child. We wouldn't be one of his. And then he goes on and he says this because it's important. Verse 11, chapter 12, Hebrews, no discipline seems present at the time. It's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. And I think we've got to adjust our attitude to see questioning, admonishing, discipline as loving discipleship. Not as harmful, not as being mean, yeah. but as part of being family. Love. Yeah, good. So, so we're doing that because we have truly, genuinely God's best interest in heart for, their, for, for the person that we're admonishing or questioning, uh, which is really another way to saying we love them. Biblical love, Mike, as you said. Um, all right, so we, we've got the right attitude, let's say, and then we're, we're, we are at the point where we need to approach someone and... and bring this to their attention how do we do that how do we act uh whooping whooping <laughs> you got another answer uh it's the daniel yeah i love it so i think jesus helps us with this a ton and, and, and really you know this this is the matthew 18 principle and this is where it's lived out so jesus says if you see a brother or sister in sin or you you think there might be some poor decisions that are happening there jesus says Go on Facebook and ask everybody to pray about it. <laughs> no. What does it say? Go to them. Go to them. And then he says, if, if, you, you know, if you win your brother there, your brother listens to you, you've won your brother. In other words, you've loved them. You've helped them. Maybe you've steered them from a path of their pain and destruction. It says if they don't listen, back to our message, if they don't submit... Then he says, go get some other brothers and sisters and go. If he doesn't submit to that, then you bring it before the entire church body. The church body has a part to play in that. So there's a progression. And you could say it like this, and I think this is helpful. I think it starts with uh, questioning. That's okay. As Daniel talked about a culture that we love each other and we care about each other's growth, there's got to be questioning. David, what, what was going on there? Boy, it looked like there's some things going on in your marriage. I could be wrong, man. But it looked like something was up here. I love him enough to question him. Then if it becomes evident that there really is something going on there, then the Bible seems to indicate it goes to the next level of admonishing or confronting. No, no, no. It's not you just spoke to your wife. You've been treating your wife in a poor way. I don't even know if you see it. or that's, There's a biblical model for that because I love him. He doesn't listen. I go get some other brothers and sisters. The goal in all of it is restoration. The goal is not to hold out here, did you know David is a terrible husband? You know? The goal here is that we love each other enough, we want to help each other grow, and that's a culture of love. And Jesus gives us some help with that. Attitudes love, and he even tells us how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're speaking a lot to us as an individual disciple who is discipling another one and who's investing in someone else's life. There's also a part in that in which we share in plurality as a local body. And so uh, just kind of walking through that same grid you just talked about, I think it's important first for us as a church to create a culture where questioning is the norm. Think of it this way. 
Which of you as a parent would see your child beginning to have questionable behavior? Uh, which of you would have a, a child who maybe they come in three hours after curfew, they, they just don't seem the, maybe their normal selves, and you just wouldn't say anything? No, you would question. You would want to know what's going on in their life. Why? Because you love them, because you care about them. If we're family, if we're brothers and sisters, there should be within us a culture of questioning one another. It may be uncomfortable at times. The world may say it's none of your business, but if we're a family, it's our business. So I think we create that culture of questioning. Then when we do identify that there is genuine sin, there, there's got to be that culture of call to repentance. And again, notice that when you look at Scripture and you see in Matthew that the individual members are really the front lines of those people who are going out. First you individually, then you grabbing some people with the body. And then at that moment, if that person is still in defiant, unrepentant sin, the church collectively gets involved. The church has been given uh, elders who lead out and oversee that. But in the practice of that discipline, those consequences within the fellowship, each member right. has part. Right. And so I think you see that grid all the way through from questioning to admonishing and calling for repentance. And then even when that individual is defiant and unrepentant in sin, there is a collective effort which we discipline. Not to be mean, not to be harsh, but for their sake of their souls because we love them. So I think we see that as the church as well. I think so we support one another by having that joint attitude. All right, so let me, just, let me just wrap it up then by <clears throat> reminding us that we're bringing this up now because this is the type of thing that's going to make sermon series more sustainable yeah. beyond the sermon series. And we're bringing this up now because we acknowledge just if we're just the typical church in America, we probably don't do a very good job of this. Uh, and, and I probably don't do a very good job of this because, because it may be as awkward and hard. But I would say there's, there's a couple of reasons why we're, we're not good at this. Number one, it could be that we're harboring sin in our own life, mm. which makes it difficult to impossible yeah. to help someone else. So yeah. that's the, if you've got the log in your eye, you can't even see clearly to see the speck in another brother's eye. The other thing I would say, though, is uh, we, we do risk offending people when we question them or admonish them, and we're scared of that risk. And maybe it's because when we receive feedback from the body like that, we don't handle it very well. Yeah. So we got to be good about receiving, and we got to be good. very good yeah. about giving at the same time. But we're encouraging you all to help one another and help us yeah. along this journey um, and it doesn't, as Daniel said earlier, this applies way broader than just marriage, but it does come up as we talk about marriage because we observe things along the way and we can help one another. So I'm going to close this in prayer. Uh, and let me just say that after the service, I'll remind you again, it's already been said that there is a prayer room out there by the elevator that is available to you. If you want uh, someone to pray with you, that's available every Sunday after a service. And if you're a first time guest, we also would like to meet you and get to know you better outside this uh, room to the left over in an area we call the hub. But let me pray for us now, and when I pray, we are dismissed. God, thank you for this time together. Um, we, we take up this conversation at the very end of this sermon series just to acknowledge again how um, not only dependent we are upon you, but how dependent we are upon one another. 
And uh, we want to be people that um, can hold the truth of God's word in front of us like a mirror and can on our own turn away from our sin and ourself and turn toward you. Uh, but Lord, we know we don't always do that like we should. And so it is great when we can be in community and other people can observe things and help us get on the path of righteousness and get on the path of an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. So we pray that as our attitude and our actions are taken, that whether we're on the receiving end or giving end of those to help one another, that we will do that well. We pray that it will be a rare event, if ever, but certainly a rare event, that any one of us would stubbornly refuse counsel and advice from a brother or sister in this body, from a group of brothers and sisters, from the whole church. God, help us that we would never get that rebellious in our spirit to spurn that kind of uh, counsel and help. Um, but if that were to happen, we pray you'll give us wisdom and guidance and, and again to follow through with your word on, on how to respond even in those situations. God, we love you. We thank you for Daniel and Mike who have brought us three really great messages these last three weeks. We pray that they will be um, received like good soil from your word that'll take root and grow and not be uh, pushed away by uh, the cares and distractions of this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're dismissed.